In episode 265, I'm very excited to share with you an episode from our Narrative Network podcast member, Women on the Move, which is hosted by Donnie Walford, the managing director and founder of Behind Closed Doors. It's an absolute privilege to work with Donnie and her team to produce their podcast. And I know you'll love this episode where Donnie chats with Dr. Vanessa Guthrie, who is an experienced executive and director with a successful career in the resources sector. Vanessa shares tips on how to best position yourself and sell your skills in a very competitive board market. This is Donnie and Vanessa from Women on the Move on Be the Drop. To listen to more episodes of Women on the Move, search in your favourite podcast app or hit the link that's in these episode show notes. So, Vanessa, thank you so much for getting up early in Perth to be able to do this podcast for me today. We are so excited to talk to you because you're going to talk to us about creating a successful ball career. Thank you, Donnie, and it's lovely to see you again and great to be here. Why don't you give us a brief understanding of your career after graduating from university to now being a non-exec director on ASX-listed boards? Well, I started university in geology and I finished my PhD and went into the mining industry. I've always had a real passion for mining because it's it's an industry that creates value from natural resources it, it turns dirt into phones and cars and fridges and furniture. So it's always fascinated me being able to manage our natural resources in a way that's sustainable, but also in a way that creates value for people. So I finished my uh, university career in Tasmania and joined the mining industry straight up in environmental management on the West Coast. That's where I lived for a couple of years while I tried to recover the hills around Queenstown, which had been decimated by, by mining and smelting through over 150 years. I eventually moved with my husband and two boys to WA and uh, joined the mining industry over here. And again... And, and was that moved to Western Australia because you wanted to extend your mining career? Yes, it was. Uh, It was also because in Tasmania I'd reached a point in my career path where uh, you you get to a natural ceiling in Tasmania because it's a small economy. And I found that my career options in the future were going to be limited and, and pretty constrained. So we moved to WA. In fact, the way we did that was I got out a map of Australia one night when the boys were in bed, gave him a pen and gave myself a pen and said, "Okay, Joe." If you could move anywhere in Australia that does mining, where would it be? And he said, I'd move to Brisbane. And I said, but I'd move to Perth. And he said, right. (laughs) And he was also in geology. And he said, right, well, the first one to get a job in either Brisbane or Perth, that's where we'll go and live. (laughs) That was the deal. (laughs) Many years later, I said to him one night, you didn't try very hard for Brisbane. (laughs) And he said, I know how competitive you are. You are always going to win. And I didn't mind Perth. (laughs) So we found ourselves in Perth with our two young sons. Through that career, and and I've worked for various mid-tier and top-tier mining companies in Perth for now 23 years. And through that, I did take some career step-outs from time to time, what I call my career risks where at one point I stepped out to be a company secretary. 
So from a geology, mining, environment, technical, sustainability background, I thought company secretary would be a good adjunct to that technical career path and and would teach me more about the boardroom, more about corporate development, more about finance. After three weeks, I realised what a mistake I'd made because I am probably the least (laughs) suited, least suited personality to company secretarial role. And I found my way back into mining. Uh, I also, at one point, uh, went to work for Alcoa in operations because I wanted to not be limited in a technical field. I wanted to be a generalist and be able to create value in companies across a broad, broad spectrum. So I went to run a mine for Alcoa called the Huntley Mine, which was 500 men, about 20 women and me. And I did that for a couple of years and then moved back into sustainability. That was personally incredibly challenging, but from a career perspective, really valuable step out, a more successful one from my technical expertise. At one point, I stepped out into agriculture a couple of times into the um, agribusiness world because, again, you're making value from natural resources. So all of that led me to the end of my career as an executive to being a CEO of a small exploration development company called Toro Energy. Uh, And I went into there to run a major project and get project development approvals, manage the Indigenous um, relations, manage government affairs and manage our environmental footprint because it was a uranium company. And it was at a time where the uranium price was um, pretty hot and, of course, the, the challenging public perception of uranium made it very difficult to get this project off the ground. So I started in the project and after 18 months I was asked to step up to the MD and CEO role. And I have to give a big call out to one of what I call my sponsors in life, Erica Smythe, who was the chair. Oh, yes, I know Erica. She was the chair of Toro at the time and she took a risk on me as a CEO. And I am forever grateful for doing that because she set me on a path that then led to my board career. Because I'd been a CEO, I'd I'd recognised all through this time, probably 15 years before I went into a professional non-executive portfolio, I've always sat on boards. I sat on government advisory boards. I sat on small ASX boards because I always knew at the end of my career, the last 10 to 15 years, I wanted to be a non-executive director because I wanted to be able to give back to the industry. So I'd been building some skills in the boardroom, uh, even, you know, the local school board, the local netball club, the local tennis club. Those sorts of skills are invaluable. So I'd done that all the way through, but I always knew to get onto ASX boards The self-selecting, unfortunately, self-selecting criteria for women is have you been a CEO? And if you haven't been a CEO, you are up against it more than the men. So uh, Erica also recognised that and said to me, we are going to make you a CEO because you are going to have an outstanding career. And so she took the risk and I'm forever grateful to her. She is a wonderful person. She is a great sponsor of women. So now uh, I took the leap in 2016. It is a bit like falling off a, a bridge with a bungee jump around your feet and hoping that it doesn't snap. <laughs> and started my career, my NED career portfolio. And what board did you join in 2016? 
So it was early 2017. I was very strategic about it, I have to say. I, I didn't just accept any and every board. I thought deeply about each board. I did a lot of research. But in order, I started with Curtin University on the council there. Uh, the ABC was my first board. Then uh, because I was chairing the Minerals Council of Australia at the time, that gave me great profile and I joined Santos and then uh, Adbri, formerly Adelaide Brighton, then Tronox and then finally in October last year, Linus Rare Earths. And there were a couple of ins and outs along the way with government advisory boards and um, a small uh, ASX listed company as well. And uh, Vanessa, are, are you also uh, on a, a football board and a cricket board? Oh, cricket. <laughs> How could I forget? That's my other passion in life. What's my third passion? Joe first, mining second, cricket third. <laughs> I was on the WACA board in 2015. I joined the WACA. Yeah. And I was deputy chair at the WACA for four years. And towards the end of last year, a position came up on the board of Cricket Australia. So I put my hand up, went through the interview process, was fortunately selected. And so I'm now sitting on the board of Cricket Australia and as a result, stepped off the WACA. But the WACA is a great example of a not-for-profit board that actually gave me enormous board skills to be able to join Cricket Australia. So you talked a little bit about Erica Smythe and how she helped you as, as a major sponsor of yours. How did networking in general and having sponsors, coaches and mentors help you in planning that board career and even attaining some of those awesome ASX boards? So I spent a lot of time networking, exercising every and any network I had and I sat down in December 2016 over that holiday period with the list of the ASX top 200 companies and I mapped out the sectors that I was interested in and those that I was not. For example, I'm unlikely to ever join a finance or insurance or a superannuation board because that's just not my gig. So I narrowed the sectors to basically the ASX industrials. And then I went through everyone and their most recent annual report, narrowed it down to those that I thought were in production, had a revenue stream. Then I looked at the boards and I, and I worked through each board, the longevity of directors, how many women were on the board, what skills they had on the board, and when they would next come up for rotation and what sort of skill set they might need on rotation. And that got me down to about 20 boards and I looked at those 20 boards and I said, okay, who do I know on that board? And if I don't know somebody on that board, who do I know that might know somebody on that board? Because the board networks yes. are very, very tight. And interestingly, once I reached out to people that I knew and said, look, I don't know Tony Howarth. I don't know Frank Cooper. There are a raft of people, Rebecca McGrath at the time, but I'd really like a conversation. Could you help me? People were incredibly generous about connecting me to these other directors and chairs. And then those people, those chairs, were incredibly generous with their time. They all sat down and had lunch or a coffee with me. And I approached them on the basis that I'm wanting to start a board career. What's your advice? Where are the rocks in the road? What, what are the things I should look for? How do I position myself in what is a very competitive market? 
because if you think about how many directors there are in Australia, it's about 1,500 and there's about a 10% turnover. So it's only 150 odd places available every year. That's all that's available of the ASX 200. That's the reality. So you are competing. And so I listened a lot to what those very experienced directors had to say about positioning yourself, about how to sell your skills, how to lean in without appearing to be too overly ambitious, how to present yourself with dignity, with elegance, with authenticity. The other thing that happened to me was because I was Chair of Minerals Council of Australia, that actually meant that I was high profile. And while I live in Perth, the MCA is incredibly well known, obviously, on the East Coast amongst mining companies, but even more broadly, the MCA is well known in business circles. And so being the chair of the MCA created a profile for me that meant that, in fact, the Santos role, the chair at the time, Peter Coates, had been in the MCA, had been the chair of the MCA, and he knew what I was doing. If I was chair of the MCA, he knew what I would be up against and he knew what I would be capable of. So having a a public profile in some way that is not self-serving but is a public profile that is, you know, you're there to serve the business or the organisation that you're with created enormous um, value for me as well. All great tips for uh, want-to-be board directors, not just for ASX, Vanessa. What would be your key challenge that you faced as a CEO or just generally in your career and what would be one of the key challenges you've faced as a board director? I think inevitably you you would not be surprised to hear me say being the only woman in the room as a CEO, as an executive in the mining industry. Uh, And I think probably a key challenge was a very personal one, being able to be present in the room and take rightfully take your place without being overly ambitious, without believing beyond your own capability, but but being able to be present in a way that is real and authentic and valued by the others around you. So a little example of that, when I became CEO, we did a lot of investor briefings, fundraising. I would always take my CFO, who was a man, with me, and we travelled a lot around the world to investment banks, to fund managers. And in every meeting, in the first trip I did, we did 61 presentations in 10 days to over 160 people. And there was only one woman in that 160. So 159 men. And inevitably, in every room we walked into, they would walk over to the CFO first and shake his hand. And he would say... This is my CEO. <laughs> this is my CEO. Have you met Vanessa? Now, this is these are fund managers who knew who they were meeting. Mm-hmm. They knew that they were meeting a woman as the CEO and there was only one woman and one man walking in the room. So it was very <laughs> obvious who I was, but the unconscious bias for them, they felt very comfortable shaking the man's hand. And I equally contributed to that because I would step back. I would let him go first. Why did you do that? When you walk into the room, women will very often 
take the second row seat or they will come into the boardroom and they'll take the seating in the boardroom that is out of line of sight. Of the chair. Correct. Mm, That's interesting. And wow, Cheryl Sandberg says, you know, lean in. So that the second time we did about, you know, six months later, we went around the world again. I was literally elbowing my CFO out of of the lift. (laughs) Get out of my way. I'm the CEO. And I would walk into the room with my hand held out, ready to go. So, you know, Cheryl Sandberg's principle of lean in is really, really resonated for me because I didn't lean in because I was perhaps um, a little embarrassed, uh, felt a little imposter syndrome. You know, I was the CEO, but gosh, you know, this is a bunch of high-flying fund managers. I'm just a little old CEO from Australia. What would I know? Uh, and it became very obvious to me once when my CFO said to me after a f- uh, far too many glasses of wine, you know, you know you need to step up and step in. And I said, well, you know, well, what do you mean? And he said, Jesus, Vanessa, you've got a PhD in geology and you're a CEO of an ASX 200 company. Step up and step in, for heaven's sake. So thank you to my CFO. And, you know, if I had to pick a role model in terms of a woman who knows how to step in without appearing to be overly ambitious. I have always admired Julie Bishop's elegance. Mm, So do I. In terms of her strength of character um, and her ability to be present in the moment without judgment. Yeah, Julie Bishop and uh, Carolyn Hewson, my two role models for exactly the same reasons. So that would be, you know, being the only woman. I mean, that was at the end of my career. I have a thousand. It would take us another whole podcast to talk about (laughs) being a woman on a mining. Maybe in series three I'll get you back. (laughs) Being a woman in a mining company with no toilets, no no female change rooms, you know, pictures of naked women in the crib room at lunchtime. Yeah, I grew up in banking and finance and it was exactly the same thing. Really different times now. So you just finally, you did mention your your first doctorate and recently you also received in 2017 one from Curtin University. What was that one? So this is an honorary doctorate in recognition of my contribution to the mining industry and in particular to sustainability in mining, to technical innovation and policy leadership in sustainability and to the contribution I made to strengthening the Australian resources sector. I was very humbled to receive it. It came out of the blue, uh, completely unknown, and as I remember saying to the Vice-Chancellor at the time, I'm not quite sure why you're giving me this because I haven't really done anything to earn it. (laughs) Oh, you're kidding me. And she said, Is that the imposter syndrome working again? <laughs> and she just looked at me, bless her, she looked at me and rolled her eyes and said, you don't think? <laughs> that is uh, why I have two doctorates. And one of them was incredible personal effort to get a, a PhD on, on your own research but to be honoured with a, an honorary doctorate, Absolutely. which is where your industry and your peers and the academic world are recognised, recognise the contribution you've made through life, uh, was just, uh, it blew me away. I was very honoured to receive that one. 
as you should be. And congratulations on such a successful career. We're all going to watch your your further career because I know that, that you, what did you say, 10 to 15 years career? I think it's going to be longer, Vanessa. I know you want to go walking with your husband more often, but I think you can fit in a few more years on, on that board career. And thank you for being such a wonderful role model for, for women in Australia in particular. Thanks, Donny. I've really enjoyed our chat. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Women on the Move podcast brought to you by Behind Closed Doors. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that. This is a Narrative Network podcast.